how are you doing? This is Three Sides of the Coin, and in case you're wondering, hey, who's the limey? And what's she done with Mike, Tammy, and Mark? Well, this is your British Kiss correspondent, Rich Davenport. I'm a guest on the show today, very happy to be here. I'm a big fan of the show, and I'm here today with an audio interview I recently did with Gene Simmons. I've been a KISS fan since I was 12, which is a long time ago. Um, uh, I'm a writer and musician. I play with a band called Black Sheets of Rain, which you can find on Facebook and also at www.blacksheetsofrain.com. I write for a magazine here in the UK called Record Collector. KISS recently came to the UK as part of their current End of the Road tour. I interviewed Gene for the magazine, and you can buy the magazine from www.recordcollectormag.com. Alongside the interview... There's a list of the top 10 KISS collectibles that was compiled by a guy some of you may know called Ingo Florin from Germany. He wrote a book a while ago called The Official Price Guide to KISS Collectibles, which is still available in Kindle format. You can find out about that uh, with a lot more information about some cool KISS collectibles at Ingo's website, which is www.kisspriceguide.com. In the interview, I asked Gene how serious he and Paul are about allowing a new lineup of KISS to carry on after they hang it up. I also asked if KISS have any plans to do what bands like The Grateful Dead have done and release vintage live shows after the band split up. There's some very interesting information about the band's future plans. We also talked about the band's time on Casablanca Records, Gene's relationship with Ace Frehley, whether KISS is perceived differently in different countries around the world, and we also spoke about the merchandising empire that's grown alongside the band since the 1970s. I was also asked by my uh, editor to choose five KISS albums to list alongside the interview. I had to pick albums that I hoped would give readers who didn't know the band very well a good introduction to KISS. But also, to keep things interesting for you diehard fans out there, I tried to track down some rare editions of the albums from around the world, which you might find interesting. So that section in the magazine also has information on uh, the inserts that make the 70s albums valuable, like the posters and the booklets. Uh, And also, for some of the later albums, I managed to find a Swedish picture disc of Creatures of the Night, which is apparently quite rare. And there's also a version of Revenge from Ecuador with a different cover. I hope you enjoy the interview. I've been a KISS fan, as I say, since I was 12, back in 1984. Getting into the band back then, you could see the makeup on the album covers, and of course that was part of the appeal, but until the KISS Exposed video came out, I had no idea about how spectacular those 70s shows were, so for me, the songs had to stand up away from the image or I wouldn't have bothered with the band. So from my experience, I think people who dismiss the band as all hype and image are way off the mark. I read an interview with Molly Hatchett once, there's a bit of KISS trivia here as well for you guys, Um, As some of you guys will know, they had some very distinctive album covers and in an interview, uh, the band said that as they became more successful, the artist who painted the first few covers wanted more money because he thought that his covers were a big part of the band's success. One of the bands said, well, you can't play an album cover on the radio. And I think that's the same with Kiss. You can't hear the image on the radio. And that little piece of Kiss and Molly Hatchet trivia for you. I'm sure many of you guys know that Katie Segal, who played Gemma in Sons of Anarchy, sang backing vocals on Gene's solo album in 1978. And a few years later, she also sang backing vocals on Molly Hatchet's Take No Prisoners album. So there you go. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the interview. I had to approach it to give um, the magazine's readers, who may not know much about Kiss, an idea of the band's history. But I also had to make sure we talked about things that would interest long-term fans too. 
So hopefully we've achieved that. And without any further ado, here's the interview with Gene, and thanks for listening. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and Shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. of KISS Radio. Every week, Three Sides of the Coin Radio. Live, Sundays, 8 p.m. Pacific. Monsters of Rock Channel, Dash Radio Network. We program the radio show. We pick the songs. No corporate overlord telling us what to play. Only KISS Deep Cuts. We play the songs the fans really want to hear. Three Sides of the Coin Radio. Every Sunday, 8 p.m. Pacific. Um, what's the reaction been like to the farewell tour so far? Have there been emotional scenes from fans? It's, it's so... I, I don't know what I can say. I'm so grateful, not just for the 46 years, but every time we get up on stage, and it, it, let's call it for what it is, we blow a lot of shit up and we give people, in my view, the best show on earth. The emotional uh, payback is worth more than everything else because when you see here you are on stage and you, <clears throat> and you're Gene Simmons and you think you're all that and you're full of it the way most people think I am and you look out and you see a you know a five-year-old child in in makeup sitting on dad's shoulders in makeup next to them is either grandma or grandpa and that little kid is giving me my hand gesture up in the air for the first time maybe in his life and maybe for the first time he's seen kiss in his life and I have to tell you it puts a lump in my throat it just you know, it it's difficult to be big and badass and not have that affect your heart it's the most gratifying thing it's unbelievable no, it's understandable. And uh, although this is the end of Kiss as a touring band, I mean, how serious are you guys about the idea of letting a completely new lineup carry on? There are no rules. You know, when I was growing up, this this thing called rock and roll, which became rock because it became self-conscious, really started with black music, and then white kids sort of took it and made it their own. I get it. <clears throat> and when we were kids, and when I was a kid, there was a phrase, never trust anyone over 30. And then McCartney wrote a song, Will You Still Love Me When I'm 64? Well, he's past 70. So although rules are made to be broken isn't just a lyric I've used and many people have used, it's a good idea because this rock thing, which isn't very old at all, it's not like classical music that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Rock is less, you know, it's about a half a century old. Yeah. More than that. You know, 60 years, something like that. And so who knows what the rules are? And who is it that, 
puts the rules out there. So in, in simple terms, why not? Why not have four deserving young men who are <clears throat> faceless, nameless, who are worthy of, you know, carrying the torch, as it were. So we haven't looked at that yet. We're in the middle of having the best time of our lives. This tour is going to go two or three years. We've already done 45 cities. Uh, in a few days, we do the stadium in Mexico City, and that's already packed at over 70,000 people. We intend to film that just to see the joy on everybody's faces, including ours, by the way. Mm -hmm. And is it the last tour? It, it really is, and I'll tell you why. You and I greatly admire Mick and the Stones, and we greatly admire you too, and we greatly admire, oh, I don't know, Ed Sheeran, or you name whoever your favorite is. But if they had to wear my 8-inch platform dragon boots for two hours and put on 40 pounds of additional armor and stuff, spit fire, fly through the air, uh, you know, do all that stuff, all of us, you'd, you'd collapse in a half hour. So I'm turning 70 proudly this August. By the time the tour will be over, I'll, I'll be in the 72-year age area. And that's a good time. Have the have the grace uh, and the integrity of getting off the stage at the right time. Absolutely. I've many bands, and so <clears throat> I've seen many bands, and so of you that we grew up with that are on stage too long, yeah. bloated, old, and in the way, and it's depressing. And I don't want to see my heroes. You know, age is the ultimate, Mother Nature is the ultimate uh, winner here. So you want to get off the stage when it's right. If I was Keith in the Stones, you could be up on stage forever, who I greatly admire, by the way, but that's a different band. Put on some sneakers and a comfortable T-shirt, and you don't have to move around or do anything, just strum your guitar. You don't even have to break a sweat. And that's not a criticism, it just means that's the kind of band it is so I'd love to be the edge <laughs> I, could play, I could play into my 80s but Kiss is a different animal <clears throat> Kiss is the hardest working band in show business period nobody does what we do and we don't go backstage and um, sprinkle uh, water on our faces to make people leave it sweat no, it really is sweat. And we work hard and proud of it. But have the grace and self-respect to get off the stage when it's time. Absolutely. Two or so, it'll be the time. Fair enough. And, you know, looking back at the history, I mean, I've seen the band several times with different lineups. And But before you guys, do you think there's a tendency sometimes... You know, knowing the band history, I know you guys had a, a run there for maybe three years where, you, you know, you paid some serious dues. You can't take three albums in quick succession, there was relentless touring, and although you'd got the costumes and, you know, some basic effects in place, you know, it wasn't as big as it became, and at that stage, it was based on the songs and the performances of you four guys on smaller stages, and, you know, the breakthrough with Alive came, and Rock and Roll All Night was a hit single, you know, 
I, I, I think those in the know would say that the foundation was laid on those those years you guys put in as a band and on the strength of the material. Do you think people who maybe think the band's overblown or have accused the band of, of, of hype see you, you as like a finished product that arrived and don't see the hard work you put in there before that? All of it is fair. <clears throat> I wouldn't begrudge anybody who says Kiss is just about fireworks in a stage show. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever you get out of it is what you get out of it. I play bass pretty well. <clears throat> Tony, I only were going to form a band together. Uh, it's nice to hear Jimmy Page come backstage and pat me on the back and say I'd give John Entwistle a run for my, you know, for his money. Mm. Or, you know, the sort of uh, compliments you get now and then. But between you and I, although it means a lot to me for you know, Jimmy or Jeff Beck or anybody to be nice to me. At the end of the day, it only matters that the people who come to see us, and they number in the tens of thousands, are happy to be there on whatever level. Mm-hmm. Chicks will like when Eric will sing Beth, and the guys will like uh, when I do War Machine or or hump my bass or something, and everybody will get whatever they want out of it. And then the chicks will like I was made for loving you although in big festivals or when we do our own outdoor shows the most hardened uh, metal you know it's a bit, bit of a real metal yeah. even those guys the Denim Brigade and all that are jumping like biblical locusts uh, up and down 50,000 of them going <laughs> you know it defies logic and so I don't have a, you know, for me, impressionistic paintings are sort of what it's all about. You get out of it whatever it is you want. Mm. It's all fair. Fair enough. I don't have a, I don't have a point of view that this is art, or that I'm a very good player, or I can, or my, I never lose my voice, ever. Mm-hmm. But so what? <clears throat> Either you love it, or you don't. You can always see the new One Direction or whoever's out there and enjoy that on whatever level you enjoy it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the, the merchandising side of it, that, that really took off when you guys broke through After Alive and Destroyer. Um, you know, the Beatles had everything from, from you know, lunchboxes to what have you back in the 60s but you know you guys took it to another level <clears throat> was that something that happened gradually or did it just take off in the 70s with we were so connected to the fans we would write them uh, personal letters we'd know them hey where are you what are you up to and because we couldn't believe it was happening to us <clears throat> and Beatlemania was an entirely new thing because they were kept away from especially the young female fans because they could you know they couldn't have a decent conversation with somebody with all the shrieking mm-hmm. and that's a wonderful thing by the way you know it's a it's a thing to behold but we had a much more honest and continue to have a much more honest relationship with the fans and when they don't like something they let us know and so on and so forth so we were very well aware when they'd like something or wouldn't like something, and so we just responded to it fast. Mm-hmm. That includes the t-shirts and the hats and the, everything from caskets to condoms. 
<laughs> Literally, everything you can imagine. You have no idea what's coming out. I mean, my I have a 6,000 square foot uh, office, one of two floors. Well, there's a third floor also. It's a pretty decent-sized house, so I can do that. And every week there are two or three deliveries of new items. There's a KISS uh, beer pong, P-O-N-G, table that just came in. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, yeah I've seen it in movies, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, there are tables, and you put small shot glasses, and you take a ping pong ball, and you try to get it in, and if you don't, something about drinking that, you know, I don't understand it myself. <laughs> and why you couldn't just put the... Uh, whiskey shot glasses on a regular table is beyond me <laughs> but people want kiss beer pong tables so we make them we make uh, kiss bowling balls everything you can imagine sneakers bras even toilet seats yes you can sit on my face <laughs> <laughs> fair enough and um you know in, in the makeup era i know that in the in the 70s there was that kind of it, it took the sort of rock star concepts a little bit further because, you know, and the press were kind of got involved as well with not showing you guys without your makeup. And, um, I mean, that sounds like it was a hell of a lot of fun. Was it as much fun as, as fans probably envisage it being? We, it just happened very quickly. And we all of a sudden realized, gee, wouldn't it be fun? if it wasn't about us, if it was about the band, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, when I think of Marilyn Monroe, you never think of her in hair curlers without makeup and coming out in a bathrobe. No. You see what I mean? Yeah. You, you, she, the great stars of the past, the American stars, the movie stars, were there any other? Always protected their star thing. So when you think of Cary Grant, he never looked, he never had a beard or unshaven. He didn't look like he was in Mumford and Sons. He was always Cary Grant. And so that sort of idea crept into the band. Gee, maybe we should protect <clears throat> who we are, the image we created. And that's why we decided, you know, off stage it doesn't quite matter. And so for a while, Whenever I'd go out to a restaurant or something, especially when Cher and I started seeing each other, and then Diana and so on, it would be difficult to go out for dinner without the paparazzi trying to catch me without makeup. It became some kind of game. But I was aware, and certainly the guys were as well, that we were trying to protect our image. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the band, it's, it's, it's quite interesting following your career over the years as I have. You know, you've had times when the band's been perhaps, I mean, you know, the past 16 years, and well, since the reunion era, really, I know you had sort of, things weren't all rosy in the garden behind the scenes with Ace and Peter, but it's just been like a continuous high level of success. I mean, you know, obviously around the, the um, Unmasked era and things like that, and The Elder, um, 
although you you guys weren't doing perhaps as well in the states, you, you you were you were very successful in Australia at that point. And you know, I remember you came over to the UK. Have there have, have there been times? You know, have you been surprised how the band is perceived in in different countries, or is it pretty much the same wherever you go? Or? Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, different countries have different cultures, and it means different things. And when we go to South America, especially, <clears throat> there are hillsides, mountainsides, that have carvings of either us or my face or my tongue or something, and they, you know, they could be hundreds of feet long. And in farm fields across South America, uh, People have irrigation ditches, like, you know, made out my face. <laughs> it is more than music. The imagery, I don't, want to, I don't want to be the one that says so, but you love Coldplay and I love Coldplay, but the imagery doesn't translate. Yeah. There's no mountainside carved in Chris's face. You see what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And so that doesn't mean the music isn't better than ours or the best in the world. It's not what I'm talking about. The iconic imagery, and there are very few bands that have that. Oh, I don't remember Springsteen's face on any item outside of a wall or in graffiti or something. And he's massive and great. Or Bono. It's just, I've never seen a Bono t-shirt on a person. And we love him. Yeah. Fantastic, iconic, great, more talented than I am. But the imagery just doesn't translate. You can't dress up like Bono. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just conscious of the time, Gene. I was told 20 minutes. How, how are you doing for time? Can I ask a few more questions? Is that okay? Of course. Oh, brilliant, thanks. Um... Okay, um, you know, the, the, the other thing is, as I say, I mean, I'm, I'm not wishing to decry the success that you've had over the years, but you guys weathered the storm, you know, through some pretty difficult times, you know, uh, you know, around that period with, between, say, Elder and Creatures, and then you came back with um, Lick It Up, and, you know, things things took off again, and then there was another, another. It, it, it seemed to go up another level with the reunion again, just where the band's legacy was a lot more celebrated, so what has motivated you and Paul to keep going when, it, when you've been in tougher spots? New blood. You know, when uh, it's no different than a soccer team or a football team, mm -hmm. as you call it. Um, when you have the same members and a few of the members drink too much or do something and you pass the ball and that, that idiot <clears throat> doesn't get the goal because he stayed up last night and drank too much, you want to get rid of that guy. He's a loser. But he's got a right to say, it's my life, don't tell me what to do. Fair enough. Or as you say, fair enough. <laughs> but the problem is when you're on the soccer field and you're a football field, when he misses the goal, the whole team loses. you got you got to change a flat tire. It affects the whole car and everybody that's in it. So you have to get rid of these people. And we love Ace and Peter to this day, and they were equally as important to the beginning of the band, but they've been in and out of the band three different times. Mother Nature will burn you on the very first time you stick your hand in fire. I mean, how many chances do people want? So the thing that 
infused us with more energy and a kind of a wake up, you're the most blessed person on the planet, is Tommy and Eric. When they joined us, <laughs> equally as talented, uh, professional, show up on time, there's no dark cloud, there's no drugs. You know, I, I don't even say this for effect. Literally nobody in the band even smokes cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Nobody drinks. Not because there's some kind of rule. You know, if you want to drink off to the side, sure, help yourself. As long as you're professional on stage. But I, uh, nobody goes to the bars. There's no pub stuff. It's not part of the culture. And literally nobody in the band uses drugs. Mm -hmm. And maybe that has a lot to do with showing up on time and getting up on that stage and making the words true. You wanted the best, not the second best, or kind of good. You wanted the best, you got the best. The hottest motherfucking band on the planet. And the words have to mean that. Or or get off the stage. Mm -hmm. and, and give, uh, I don't know, Greta Van Fleet a chance. Yeah. I'm looking at that reunion era just in general. Um, I mean... Now I remember who you sound like. Go on. The, ca the cadence and the accent. Joe Elliott. Yes. Similar area. <laughs> now I hear it. Yeah, yeah. Muck, mucking about. That's it, I. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. That word, mucking, how do you spell that? M-U-C-K? That's it, I-N-G, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well spotted, sir, yes. Um, just with... Um, that that era when when Kiss came back in the nineties. I mean, I think music needed that because you know the grunge era wasn't the cheeriest of uh, of times. Um, it, it just seemed that you know you guys you'd stayed around all those years and you and Paul had maintained the band. But it seemed that with that there was a lot more celebration of the band's place in popular culture. And you know you've since gone on to be on everything from Family Guy to Scooby Doo. Um, it seemed that did it. Were you conscious that things seemed to go up a level uh, uh, along those lines at that the point? Only thing, the only thing that uh, we were reminded every now and then is when we tried to play the game, let's do a concept record. <clears throat> the, the Who had one and the Beatles had one. We should have one. It wasn't as convincing as just kind of just be yourself and do what you want to do. Uh, and... When the grunge era started, I remember doing interviews and being loudly crucified by people who say, you don't know, and you, you know, you pass. I said, when this movement is over, you're going to have maybe one, maybe two bands that survive. I said the same thing about <coughs> speed metal and that, and, and yeah, that's right. Out of that movement, only Metallica, and out of grunge, maybe Pearl Jam survived. Bears noting that Foo Fighters who are a terrific band, are many times bigger than Nirvana ever was. Yeah. And maybe that's because, you know, there's less of that dark, you got, you know, all that. And I said it, I said it, and I was loudly criticized, but that's okay. I mean, that's never, just speak your mind. And maybe at the end of all of it, because there's always interesting stuff going on, the punk movement and the alternative movement and new romance and new this and new that, and that's great. Good luck to all of them. But at the end of the day, you got to look in, into the mirror and to thine own self be true. Absolutely. Yeah. Just 
figure out who you are, get comfortable in your skin, and do what feels natural, even if it means sticking out your tongue and spitting fire. If that feels right, do it. And even within KISS, if I wanted to dress like Paul and wear ruby red lips with a star over my eye, I don't think I'd be very convincing because I wouldn't believe it inside my skin, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, I see what you mean. Likewise, if Paul tried to be me, I don't think so. Yeah. With regard to, you know, the, the legacy of the band in the future, uh, the last two records you guys made were, were, were seen as two of the strongest you've made in a long time, Monster and Sonic Boom. Um, and obviously you've had your own... Um, Uber box set recently with, with the vault. Um, do you guys have much Kiss stuff? I'm just thinking of the, the way bands like Grateful Dead and people like that who aren't around anymore, but they have vintage, you know, live sets that fans seem to be interested in. You know, live concerts from particular eras. Do Kiss have enough stuff in the vaults where, where you could maybe put out vintage live performances in future? Once once you guys have have left the stage, you know, uh, things along those lines that collectors might be interested in. Yes, but there's also unreleased material. Mm. But there's plenty of time for that. We're planning a movie and a Vegas show and all kinds of stuff that makes purists furious. But by doing Kiss Meets Scooby-Doo, a five-year-old fan, a five-year-old kid discovers a world he never knew existed. And we're proud of, by the way, Kiss Meets Scooby-Doo. Mm. It was terrific. And ultimately, that's my revenge to all the young mothers and fathers out there. <laughs> forced to watch it five times a day, every day. I love that. Well, Phantom of the Park was shown theatrically here in Europe. I don't know if you know, but it was the TV spots and everything. And, and you know, my my own. This is what you're saying about five year old kids. I mean, I I before I'd even heard a note of music. I mean, I'm like 47, so I got into you guys in the 80s and listened to the albums from the era I'd missed, but. Before I'd heard a note of music, I used to read Marvel comics from the age of like three or four, and I'd seen pictures of you guys, you know, because they used to they used to have those adverts, uh, the classified ads, and you could you could buy the dolls and things like this. And I hadn't you know I hadn't heard a note of music, and then a couple of years later, it was um, there was an ad break in the old Incredible Hulk TV show with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, and there was a, a really short advert on TV, this is like national TV for Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, at the, at yeah. the cinema, so, you know, that appeal in a completely different way that had quite an impact, so I can see what you're saying. And that's why, uh, I mean, I, I, I was having uh, lunch in Tennessee, as a matter of fact, and the waitress came over, very attractive young lady and stuff, and we were talking. And uh, she says, oh, you're in that, oh, you're in Kiss, oh, I love Kiss, and I'm so sorry I was working, I missed the concert, please tell me what city I'm going to fly in and see the show. Oh, okay, that's great, we're going to be in, you know, Nashville or whatever. And uh, what are you guys talking about? I said, oh, we were just talking about Led Zeppelin and how the, and she said, who? <laughs> That's stunning, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's because in her world, unless you see the imagery and the stuff, there are no more radio stations or stuff, and nobody's covering that material. They wouldn't know it. Not unless you see the imagery. Absolutely.
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and we all love uh, John Paul Jones. But if the gentleman walked down the street, nobody would know. Guys were signed to um, Casablanca Records. Now, that was a label that very much grew in success with Kiss, and it had a wildly eclectic roster, uh, including the Village People, Angel, and disco artists, um, and I mean, that label also has a, a reputation as being quite a wild environment with everything from ties to the mafia to all kinds of, you know, people sort of paint it as being like Caligula's bachelor party. Um, what are your memories of the label? We were the first act. Kiss was the first act on Casablanca Records, and we got signed by a guy named Neil Bogart, one of the last of the P.T. Barnum, you know, the big showman kind of record company executives who believed in big things and showmanship and things like that. Although he had come from another label where they only did singles, so he didn't really understand Kiss, but he loved, you know, sort of the visuals of it. And from there, Casablanca grew into Donna Summer and, as you mentioned, the Village People, Parliament... Angel, I discovered actually, and had got them signed to Casablanca. And you're right; it was a, it pretty much became the big disco label. But it started off with us and guitars. But in terms of Caligula and a certain lifestyle, well, you're talking about pre-AIDS, where you could wake up with somebody whose name you never bothered to learn. A magical time. <laughs> and um, do you think that having you guys as the first band was that instrumental in the fact that they chose bands with a strong image like Parliament and Angel and the Village People? It was all Neil Bogart, this this guy who himself was a an artist, a failed artist, called himself. Uh, he was born Neil Bogatz, <laughs> Neil Bogart and tried to have a recording career, but of course was close to tone deaf. I suppose that didn't help. No. <laughs> but he believed in the idea that it wasn't just music, you had to have music plus. So you're right. I mean, uh, Neil Bogart created the EP, you know, the long, he heard the Donna Summer Love to Love You Baby song. <laughs> and what happened, the story behind that is really fascinating. There was a crazed fan people forget the word fan comes from the word fanatic, who broke into a radio station in the middle of the night. Now, he may have had something in his system, we don't know. Yeah. He locked the doors and played Love to Love You Baby by Donna Summer over and over and over again until the cops broke in in the morning and arrested him. <laughs> Neil Bogart called Georgia Moroder, the German record producer, and says, I don't care what you do, um, I heard people were making love throughout the night to that song. I want you to make this thing as long as you can. In the middle, put down beats, and I want Donna to go, uh, you know, like she's in the middle of sex. <laughs> and overnight, the EP was invented. Wow. So this guy, Neil Bogart, didn't understand much of anything except he knew what he, he was connected more as a fan as opposed to record executive. It's like, what would I get off on and that's a great thing i wish there were more record executives like that 
who approached it from the point of view of a fan. Like, what would the fan like? Definitely. And um, I know I've, I've read interviews with you and Paul, and you've said that you didn't feel much kinship with a lot of the, the bands that were on the scene in New York at the time, like the New York Dolls. Uh, but I, I remember something that struck me. You guys covered a Ramones song about 15, 16 years ago for a tribute album. Would you agree that, the, although it's a different genre, there, there, there's some parallels between Kiss and the Ramones in terms of a strong image and a very individual path as a band? I think the individual path as a band is uh, you got to tip your hat. So whether a band is your taste or not, you got to look at it and say, you know what, they're, to thine own self be true, as the Greeks say. Mm. There are a lot of bands that became successful. I mean, we all like Journey and we all like uh, Farner and, you know, all, uh, these bands. But, you know, it, respectfully, the members are interchangeable. You could take one guy from Farner and stick it into Journey, and what's the difference? And musically, I could see one of these bands doing another band's song. You you can't have somebody else doing a Ramon song, or a Sex Pistols song, or uh, I'd like to think a Kiss song. Like when I hear Zeppelin or The Stones, I immediately know who it is. When I hear Hendrix, I go, that's who that is. When I hear The Beatles, I go, that's distinct. The great thing about a band, if they can figure out how to do it, is to get a fingerprint unique, unlike anyone else in the world. Because it's much, much easier to be just like everybody else. Like ordinary. And I've always espoused, be extraordinary. Don't be ordinary. Absolutely, and well, speaking of, of, of covers, I mean, you guys, I mean, you had a tribute album, the Kiss My Ass record, with everyone from Garth Brooks to Nirvana and Lenny Kravitz, and there have been countless other independent ones. Do you have a favorite Kiss cover? Well, I take responsibility for that, including the title, Kiss My Ass. Instead of waiting around for somebody to throw a party, why not throw a party yourself? So I decided to have a Kiss tribute album and I'm the guy that stayed on the phone all the time and called the artists I remember calling uh, Neil Young's manager hey how about if Neil does all night and of course Elliot said are you out of your fucking mind why don't you do a Neil Young tribute I go okay that's a deal we'll do a Neil Young song if Neil will do a Kiss song but everybody from uh Oh, my goodness. Everybody was going to do it. Madonna was going to do it. I was made for loving you. and uh, But I talked directly to the artists. And, of course, once the managers and record companies saw that I was bypassing them, they said, you're not going to get, what are you, out of crack? We're, gonna let, we're not going to let you do that. you got to talk to us. But even with all that, uh, Garth Brooks was on the record, Lenny Kravitz. Lenny told me, wouldn't it be great if Stevie Wonder was on there playing harp? I yeah. said, well, okay, then ask him. He said, no, no, you ask him. I don't know. Uh, okay. So I met Stevie in the days when I was going out with Diana Ross, and so I called him, invited him down to the studio, and he said, sure. I will tell you, I was never shook so much. He's in the recording studio with uh, Lenny recorded a song I wrote called uh, Deuce. And Stevie's going, just tell me what to uh, what to play on the harp. I go, oh, my God, I can't hear Stevie Wonder. He goes, no, no, go ahead. So off the top of my head, I go, doo, 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 and he just went, doo, 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 
just like that. Ocean, no. I just about broke my water, if that was possible for the male of the species. Yeah. Uh, it was a remark. Then we had uh, Tom Morello and a few other guys teaming up. Maynard from Tool and Perfect Circle on a track calling Dr. Love and God. I mean, I, I'm really proud of that record. There's all kinds of material on there from even Toad the Wet Sprocket doing a kind of a, I don't know, uh, alternative version of Rock and Roll All Night that almost sounds like Jackson Brown. Yeah, I remember the record, yeah. I mean, you know, looking at the sort of songwriting side of it, do you still enjoy writing songs, even if, you know, you've not, the case haven't released anything for a while, and do you think you'll keep on... I, I, I love it. Uh, I brought out a uh, large box set, as a matter of fact, the largest box set of all time, called The Vault, this last year and a half or so, and it spans 50 years of unreleased tracks, but some of the more recent tracks were only, I don't know, two years away. I mean, two, year, two years old. And uh, Ace, bless him, asked me to come up with a few things for his solo record, so I brought in two things. Your wish is my command, and without you I'm nothing. Which I think he put on the new album. Yeah, I think he did, yeah. Record. And Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Now, speaking of that, I mean, obviously, Ace is, I think he's about 12 years sober now. I, I just wondered if you've seen any sort of, you know, people always tend to focus on, on things that have gone wrong in the past, but have you enjoyed any sides of Ace coming to the fore since you've seen him more recently? Have you, have you noticed any positive? Well, of course. Uh, Ace was on the last Kiss cruise, along with Bruce Kulick and past members, and I think he had a good time. Uh, the Gene Simmons band, I had uh, four guys in back of me, and one, uh, before we did this last tour, I was in Australia for a series of dates for the Gene Simmons band. And I told Ace, hey, come on out, play your songs, but don't bring your band. Use my ba band, you know, save the money. <laughs> so that worked out so well for Ace that he took my backing band with him to Japan, where he did a few shows. And I think he's still using my backing band, you know, whenever and wherever he plays. So, look, we wish everybody good health, good times, everybody should do well. But not everybody can be in the Olympics. Don't kid yourself, we're the hardest working band in show business, period. And you can't get out there for two, two and a half hours uh, if you're not healthy. Pardon the interruption. Uh, if you want to be done at noon, you have time for one last question. Okay, no problem. Do you think, you know, in, in the last sort of 15, 20 years, Gene, you've kind of shown a different side of yourself as a person. I mean, you know, we're talking about the legacy of the band once it splits and, oh, well, once it stops touring. I mean, I think people maybe perceive you as a person differently because you I know here in England you did the rock school uh, series where you mentor, mentored the kids and I think you know probably in the 80s people thought well this guy's got the Polaroids he's uh, befriended many young ladies whereas now people have seen you know you wrote your, your autobiography you overcame quite a lot of adversity moving from Israel as a child and and you know people have seen you on the family jewels as, as a devoted family man and do you think people will perceive you differently in the long term as a result of that 
I suppose, but when you're having the time of your life in a party, I'm not sure you think you're thinking about what people outside are thinking about the party, if you see what I mean. Absolutely, yeah. I've been, I guess blessed is the word. I've been blessed. I'm certainly the luckiest guy in the world. And how people think about it may not be as important as making sure you have a good time while you're alive, because life is short, and that you, you're generally a good person, and maybe all of us are supposed to make this world a little bit better than when we came into it. If you do that, that's, that's about as good as it gets. Absolutely. Well, I'll not take up any more of your time. I know you need to go. Um, have you One last thing. Have you heard a cover of Naked City by a Norwegian metal singer called Jorn Lander? Oh, no. Gee, that sounds interesting. It's really good. It's, sir, it, it's Jorn, J-O-R-N. J-O-R-N. And the surname is... L-A-N-D-E. He's a phenomenal singer. Um, he's released quite a lot of albums, but he, he did a cover of Naked That's City. Carolyn, can you look that up? Sure will. Naked City by J-O-R-N. I wrote it down. I appreciate it. No, I hadn't heard that. Oh, it's a really good version. I think you'll like Okay, well, thanks for your time, Gene. Thank you. I wish you well. You Bye. too. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Download your free free copy of the KISS School of Marketing. 11 Lessons I Learned Working with KISS. The number one downloaded business book on Noise Trade. Go to books.noisetrade.com slash Michael Brandvold. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.